0: Hi, this is Anthony
1: Esposito from the infamous
2: Ace Freely Band. Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. Hi, this is Bruce Kuehly.
0: Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right
1: here on
2: Mars Attack. Hey everyone, this is Dave Manichetti from YNT. This is Dave Starr
0: from Wildstar.
2: What's up, this is Doc Coyle from the band God forbid.
1: Alright, this is Jason from uh, Kinks of
2: Modesty. What's happening? This is Jeremy Goldberg from Age of Evil. Hey, what's up? This is Joey Z from Life of Agony. Hey, what's up? This is Mercedes for Kitty. I'm Rasmus Buberg from New Keepers of the Water
1: Towers. Hey, this is Tim with Rowan.
2: Hey, this is Steven from I Wrestled
3: a Bear Once. Hey, this is Tara. And this is Ivy. And we're half of Kitty.
0: Hey, this is Wolf of Materia. This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hi, this is Robert Flashman. Hey, everybody, this is Bobby Rock. Hey, this is Zach from Nonpoint. Hey, this is Frank from New Revolution.
2: And you're listening to... Mars Attacks. Yeah. Hey, this is Robbie Crane from R.A.T., and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Go get em. Hey, what's up? This is Joe from Misery. Hey, this is John from Misery. Hey, this
0: is Dan Lorenzo from Hades, Nonfiction, the curse, and my horrible solo music. You're listening to my boy Victor on Mars Attacks. Yeah, hey, this is Guy from Able, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Keep
2: rocking. Hey, this is Ron Bumble for Fall of Guns and Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Uh, hey, what's up? This is Liam from Cancer Bat, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, what's up? This is Jose from Bonnet by Blood, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Okay, this is Patrick from Heaven Below. You're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, everybody,
0: what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attacks. How
2: you doing? This
1: is Frankie Benelli from Quiet Riot, letting you know that Victor Rock on Mars Attacks Radio.
3: Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Filter, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Welcome, one and all, to another episode of Mars Attacks podcast. I am your host, Victor. This is episode number 18 of the podcast, and what we have for you today is two very special interviews, one with Liam Cormier from Cancer Bats, and another one with Chuck Billy from Testament. Uh, The Chuck Billy interview was conducted last year, was up on MarkStriegelRadio.com, again, I've mentioned this a, a bunch of other times, but for those of you that don't know, um, we felt that uh, we should keep Mars Attacks Radio music-based and switch the podcast over to being just the interview segments. So here we are with this interview uh, with Chuck Billy. Uh, with the Liam interview, interview should have come out last month. Uh, I explained with my previous Uh, episode that, um, there are a bunch of different issues that have come up, um, uh, namely unemployment, um, and just other things, you know, I'd rather not get into it, if you want to listen to my spiel on that, just check out episode 17 with Richard Patrick from Filter. In any event, what we're going to do is get into a track from... Uh, the Cancer Bats and uh, segue into the interview I did with Liam. We'll come out with some more Cancer Bats music before jumping into the Chuck Bailey segment. seems that you guys have made a lot of friends along the way. You've appeared in other bands' videos, on their albums, and some bands have returned the favor. Uh, how did all these collaborations come about?
2: Uh, yeah, I guess we, we definitely have a ton of bros uh, that we've had on, uh, on records and been in music videos. I think, I mean, our, our big thing is, uh, I mean, being close to the band Alexis on Fire, Mm -hmm. Like, those guys have been on um, every one of our records, either, you know, doing specific guest spots or singing, you know, all the backup gangs and things. And, I mean, we've all, like, kind of, I think just from hanging out with those dudes and being friends, like, we're, you always have, you know, you invite your buddies out to music videos. Um because you, you need cast members, basically. And uh, I know Scott, even before our guitar player, before we started Cancer Bats, was in uh, two Alexis on Fire videos. And he actually played guitar in Alexis whenever they needed a fill-in guy oh. um, for a while as well. So we've always been really tight with those guys. Um, and that's kind of how we, we've met, you know, I'd say, you know, a lot of people out there. Like the uh, the guys in Rise Against is definitely, you know, we we met them because Alexis on fire turned down a European tour um, and then recommended us. They were like, Oh, if you need a band in Europe, you should take cancer bats. Like those guys are a bros and rise against. were just like, Oh, cool. If you're friends with Alexis, then you must be good dudes offered us a tour, like right off the bat. And then we became, you know, really close with those guys in Europe in 2007. So when we were, you know, recording the record, we actually went out on tour with them in the U S again. And, uh, I asked him, you know, if he'd like to be a part of the record and he was stoked. Like he was, uh, he was all about it and kind of went out of his way to record his part. Cause he wasn't in Toronto. Um, so he was in Chicago and was just like, yeah, here's, here's the vocals. Like, I hope you like it. I'm stoked on the song. And I was like, this rules, like, you know, just good bros that you kind of want to have involved in, in your project.
3: Right. Right. I got you. And um, you had touched on Scott there for a second. Why did you and Scott decide to form Cancer Bats?
2: Uh, well, originally we started the band as kind of like a side project for Scott because he, he was in a metal band from southern Ontario that uh, they were awesome, you know, and they were, they were fairly, you know, full-time and pretty serious band. So we started Cancer Bats as just like kind of something else as like a side project, like he and I weren't even living in the same city. Um he was living in Toronto and I was living in Montreal, which is about, you know, six hours drive right. from here. Um and so we were just like this will be something fun, like we'll just kinda hang out. And it was more just like we we're both into the same kind of music and into, you know, like a lot of post hardcore and a lot of like, you know, just different kind of vibes and we were getting psyched on a lot of bands that were coming out like at the time, like, you know, cursed had put out like their first record and bands like these arms are snakes were starting. And, you know, there was lots of like cool stuff that we were just like, Oh, we should do a, you know, a band like this that's kind of like pushing a lot of different ideas while still being, you know, like a hardcore band. Right. So he and I started just like kind of jamming together where I was playing drums and he was playing guitar. And, uh, just even from the first practice, we were just like, Oh, this is super fun. Um, and then just, kind of got the ball rolling from there and i used to take the train back and forth from montreal wow. to toronto as as the band was kind of building steam um but it worked out because scott was a, a ticket agent at uh, via rail which is like you know the railway in canada right so he would steal, he would steal me tickets and make <laughs> me like uh these forged tickets so that i could so that i could travel back and forth so we did that for like the first you know three or four months of the band where I was just, like, going back and forth, back and forth. And then um, it finally came to a point where things were going so good for Cancer Bats, and his other band was kind of slowing down that I was just like, okay, let's start touring. Let's, you know, see how far we can go with right. this. And, you know, we put out a demo, and, and it kind of, like, from that was in 2005 when we recorded a demo, and then right away we had, you know, uh, a good friend of ours in Canada who wanted to put the record out and saw that we were touring, And then the guys in Alexis on Fire were actually just like, oh, sweet, because there's not a lot of bands in in Canada. It's almost like when a new heavy band comes along. Right. It's like you're stoked because you'll have somebody to tour with. Mm -hmm. So for for those guys, they were just like, oh, yeah, you guys are doing a band? Like, this is wicked. And we were friends with the guys in Comeback Kid who were kind of the same thing. Like, if you guys do a band and you're serious about it, like, we'll take you on tour all we want to do is tour with bands that get it you know and it's kind of like it's nice having bands like from Canada as well I know like just being in that position now where it's like you almost want to tour with you know bands who are kind of coming from the same vibe as you Mm -hmm. you know so I think it was like those those guys just being like yeah start this band we'll totally take you on tour like it'll be wicked and then we can all hang out and it was just like oh okay and it just really snowballed from there
3: Gotcha. Okay. And touching on that with all these Canadian bands, do you guys get to take advantage of the fact that uh, radio is supposed to play X amount of Canadian bands an hour? Have you guys been able to get airplay because of that? Or do you feel that you've gotten airplay despite the fact in Canada, um, despite the fact that you're Canadian, just due to the strength of your material?
2: Um, I mean, I th- I think it definitely it definitely helps when you know, radio stations are I mean, they're they're forced to find some Canadian bands to play. And like I said, like there's not, you know, a ton of of, you know, heavy bands. So in some cases it's like especially with, you know, something like, like our our like television wise. Mm-hmm. Like for much music, like they have to play so many Canadian videos, and they have like a special like metal station. So it's like they can't just play Voivod all day. It's <laughs> like they need to actually, you know what I mean? It's like they they need right. Canadian bands to fill that thirty percent. So for us, it's been it's been awesome, um, and I mean kids are stoked on it too because it's just like you want to see those bands that are from you know like your your area, like to know right. that a band from Toronto is like has a music video and gets played is cool. Cause I think they could easily just play, you know, American videos all day long. Like there isn't any shortage of content right. in that case. Um, but I mean, we, that's the thing, like we don't get played on mainstream radio or anything. Like there's enough mainstream Canadian bands, but we definitely will get like, you know, love from college stations and stuff like that, which is awesome.
3: Right. Oh, so you mean they don't fit you guys in between say Nickelback and Celine Dion?
2: Yeah. It's it, it's usually the, the three pack that they put out there. They're like, here's some bad cockrock and some metal.
3: <laughs> there you go. Um, speaking of radio, um, online I see all these different labels attached to the band, I see hardcore, I see Southern rock, I see slash, I'm I'm sorry, slash Jesus, uh, sludge metal. Uh, do you feel that specific labels fit the band? How would you personally classify the band if you were trying to sell yourself to someone new?
2: Um, I mean, we, we definitely don't make it easy on people. <laughs> I'll admit like the fact that we are so all over the place. I mean, I always say, uh, say that we're a hardcore band, uh, but I think it also depends on, like, who you're talking to. Like, if there's, like, you know, some metalhead, and he's asking, like, what our band sounds like, it's like, I'll I'll tell them, you know, more, like, Entombed and, you know, Acid Bath and, you know, like, bands like that that they'll obviously understand, but with other kids, it's like, oh, we sound like, you know, uh, Every Time I Die meets Converge. You know, it's like, right. depending on who you're talking to, or... You know, whenever we get stopped at the border, we always tell cops that we sound like Leonard Skinner and AC/DC. <laughs> uh, so I think it it all depends on like who you're talking to. Or yeah, right. you always go with like the we sound like Pantera. Oh, awesome! <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, I mean, listening to our record, it definitely goes from you know like we'll have like our doomy, sludgy songs, and then the next one will be like a total thrash you know, kind of, like, one minute banger, and then we'll have something that's, like, a total, like, straight-up hardcore song, so I think, right. you know, for, for us, we are kind of all over the place, but uh, I always like the umbrella term of hardcore, because I think that's, like, more, you know, how we, how we see ourselves, but also more, like, how we operate as a band, like, we're very, you know, DIY, and that's, like, where we come from in terms of just, you know, play wherever, we're definitely, you know, down to tour hard in a van and just, you know, make this more of our lifestyle and be part of this scene and part of this community, um, which I think, like, is, you know, such a big, big part of hardcore.
3: Gotcha. Okay, and that's also cool, too, what you said, you know, being all over the place in the sense that I'm sure it keeps things interesting for you guys as well. Oh, yeah.
2: I mean, I I don't think I could just play in a straight-up, you know, a hardcore band or a punk rock band or whatever. I think just because we are such fans of music and, you know, we're into so much different stuff. Like I love the fact that we can play, you know, so many different things within a set and the fact that, you know, the kids that are are coming out to shows are as appreciative of that as we are, you know, that they're definitely stoked on, you know, heavy songs and thrash songs and whatever.
3: Right, right, right. I got you. Um, You guys have released a full length album and an EP this year um can you talk about the writing process uh within the band um is everything written as a team or does one person more or less take the bulk of the songwriting on and then everyone else just adds their flavor to the mix afterwards
2: no we're we're definitely uh like we write as as a team and as like a whole band nobody really i mean people will come to the table with ideas Right. But uh, nobody ever has, like, a finished song that they'll bring to practice, uh, which I really like. Like, I mean, the fact that we all – it's always the four of us. And, I mean, sometimes we'll trade off and, you know, I'll I'll play drums or, you know, Jay will play guitar even sometimes, like, with riffs. But for the most part, it's like the four of us will be working on those songs and maybe we'll come up with, like, a shell and, you know, in different kind of lineups. But it's like at the end of the day, it's it's definitely the four of us that are, like – vibing on it and putting our own kind of like style behind all of those parts and kind of making sure that everybody you know is is like okay with it if Mm -hmm. that makes sense like it's like everybody has their input so the all four of us are stoked before the song gets finished um i really like it too because like if someone comes to the table with like just you know a rough idea they're not as like you know, attached to it or as likely to be bummed if everyone's like, nah, I don't really like that, you know? Mm-hmm. If you come to the table with, like, a completely finished song and you've spent a week on and everyone goes, eh, that sucks, it's like you're more... you'll take that to heart and get bummed out, whereas, you know, everyone's more open in this sense where it's like, eh, this sucks, and you're like, you know what, maybe it does suck. <laughs>
3: <laughs> is, is there ever an instance where you guys collectively think that something sucks and then maybe, you know... As time goes on, you hear that maybe piece of material again and then try to rework it so that it doesn't suck per se?
2: Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot, like, there's definitely lots of points where we'll come to, you know, you get stuck on a part and it's like it's not really working out or, you know, it's not, nobody's kind of vibing on it. And it's like we all will collectively know that, you know, okay, let's stop, you know, beating this dead horse. Like, we'll just come back to this riff next week or – in a few days or we'll pick it up. And I mean, we definitely, we, we bought some gear so we're able to record like all of our ideas mm-hmm. and which makes it nice. Cause then we can literally just be like, okay, well, we recorded it. Let's sit on it for a week or a month and just, you know, come back to it later. Cause maybe it doesn't suck. Maybe we're just all frustrated and, right. you know, and tired and whatever. And it's like, sometimes we'll go back and there'll be songs that, we haven't worked on in forever that it's just like, oh wait, this does rule. Like I still, you know, still into this riff. We just need to figure out how to to fit it into other stuff. So I I definitely really like the fact that I think now that it's our third album and we've all been working together for, you know, like especially Scott, Mike, and I, we've all been working together for a long time. So it's like we kind of, everyone checks their ego, you know, and it's like nobody gets like too bummed when, you know, people are, kind of like letting me you know their opinions and i mean i'm i'm that way too now with like lyrics and everything like i definitely will write all the lyrics for the songs but i'll, I'll make sure that everyone's cool with what i'm saying and where the song's going and what it's about and i mean there's definitely times where all be kind of iffy online and people are like no this sucks <laughs> you need to come with something else and i'm like yeah you know like if that's your initial reaction and I'm usually along the same lines too, like, maybe this is corny and they're like, This is definitely corny. <laughs> you can write something cooler. I'm like, Okay. So I feel like yeah, we're all at a, in a good place now, like, you know, kinda of like working together and respecting where everybody's at.
3: Gotcha. Okay. Um, whose idea was it to cover the Beastie Boys?
2: Uh, that was definitely my idea. Um, we I mean we've we've done a bunch of covers in the past, and we've always kind of run into the problem of doing covers that we think are really cool and then realizing that, like, no one knows of the songs that we've covered. <laughs> right. Even though it's like, well, it'll be like such a good idea. We're like, oh, we'll cover Murder City Devils. Like, everybody loves that band. But, like, no one knows the words or, you know what I mean? Like, the song that right. we cover seems to be the one that no one knows or even when people call out for it it's like oh yeah nobody actually knows this song so we kind of wanted after doing like the faint and murder city devils and tegan and sarah which were really fun and i think people were stoked on but it's like kind of wanted to do a cover that everyone would know and that is kind of more just like fun like party vibe Mm -hmm. um and so we kind of, we came up with, or I came up with that idea and everyone was super stoked. Cause it's like, everybody knows the Beastie Boys and everyone knows how rad that song is. So, right. I mean, we never, when we first started covering it, we were just doing it live and we hadn't planned on putting it on the record or doing anything like that. It was just like, oh, this will be wicked and everyone will rock out to it. But, um, the feedback we were getting was, was awesome. And people were super stoked, like all across the board. So we were kind of like, uh, eh, when we finished, like, doing all sorts of festivals and playing that song live, like everywhere from Canada to Europe to Japan, you know, the response was the same where we were like, Oh, maybe we should record this and do something with it. And then kind of the word got out from like blogs and stuff like that, that, you know, we had done this cover. And the response again was like huge. Like everyone's just like, you need to put this on the record. We want to hear this cover. Um, And so we were just like, Oh, okay, cool. Like everyone's super stoked. Like, we'll have some fun with it. We'll make a video. We'll, you know, we'll put it on the record. So it was kind of innocent in that sense where it was just like, this is fun. I'm stoked that everyone's into it.
3: <laughs> is there any talk of doing a video for the song?
2: Uh, we did do a video for the song. It's actually, uh, cause we, we put it out in between finishing the album in October uh, of okay. last year. And when it was coming out in April, so, because we had so much time, that was why we we did a video for sabotage, which uh, I did, I don't know if it gets played in the states, but it definitely I mean it's on the internet if you if you Google, if you okay. YouTube it.
3: Yeah, I'll I'll definitely uh, have to check it out. The original video is definitely one of the all-time classic videos.
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing we kind of we had to step up our game and definitely make something for real cuz I mean like the the cover that we do isn't really that original. Like we just mm. make it a little faster and a little heavier. But right. uh so we we didn't want to just like rip off their video mm-hmm. and like dress up like cops. So uh, we kind of came up with like a bit of an original idea for it um, where like we're actually trying to find the BC boys and we're, like, referencing, like, all of their, uh, all of their music videos and kind of, like, all of their looks, like, over the years, like how, right. you know, in Hey Ladies, they look like pimps and, right. you know, how, like, they definitely had their B-boy phase and, you know, different stuff like that. So it's like we're running all over the city and we keep, like, seeing these lookalikes and, you know, tackling them or catching them and then realizing that it's not the actual Beastie Boys. So it's, it was kind of fun. It was really fun making the video.
3: Cool. And have you heard anything back from their camp regarding the cover?
2: Um, Not from any of the Beastie Boys specifically. We've definitely heard from, like, like their manager apparently thinks that it's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, But beyond that, and we've heard from, like, friends of friends, like, oh, yeah, they heard, like, those guys heard that you did a video. But then it's never like, what do they think? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I don't know. I feel like maybe one day we'll bump into them at, like, a festival or something.
3: Cool. Maybe you'll uh, have the real life encounter that you guys are looking for in the video there. You'll actually get the yeah, yeah. The, the real I, Beastie Boys.
2: <laughs> I'd like to think at the end of the day that they're stoked. Um just because like that was such like an influential band for me. Like they're probably one of my favorite bands of all time. So right. it's like I just hate to think that they hate it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Well, keep thinking positive, right?
2: Yeah, exactly.
3: Cool, cool. So, um, as far as the the recording process for the entire album, Bears, Mayors, uh, Scraps and Bones, what was that like?
2: Um, I mean, the the biggest thing that we were doing with this record was kind of trying to capture how heavy of a band we are live. Okay. Um, It's definitely been, I think it's a problem of any, you know, really heavy band is that it's tough to to get that live sound Mm -hmm. on your record. Um, and it's always like kind of a struggle to be, you know, you want to be as dirty and as gnarly as you can, but at the same time, you want to be, you know, clear so people can make out, you know, they don't just have this album, pure sludge. Um, and one of the things, I mean, the, the guy that we recorded with Eric Ratz, um, was like, if you guys want to be this heavy and you want to sound like you do live, like we essentially need to record a live record which for us was like, okay, cool. But he was like, that means we have to be like so much more prepared when we go into the studio and Mm -hmm. so much more on our game than we've ever been. Um, Because essentially we, you know, a lot of bands and, you know, especially for us, it's like you don't have a ton of time. So you're always like you're finishing songs in the studio and, you know, you're writing lyrics like while someone's doing their bass parts. It's like you're trying to fit in everything that you can where with this record it was like okay well, if we want to do this like we can't have any of that last minute you know stuff that we're doing it's like everything has to be finished we have to be practiced you know like we're essentially gonna like have a finished record before we go into the studio um which it, it sounds stupid but it's like i don't know we've never done that and i know a lot of bands aren't like that um because of time so for us it was like we really had to step up our game and you know i had to have all of our lyrics finished we had to have all the parts like fitting right um which for us it meant we were like recording demos constantly Mm -hmm. of like the album and trying to like kind of troubleshoot as much as we could before we we went into the actual studio um which was awesome because in the end we had to we had to work super hard and i mean definitely put in like long hours every day for weeks at a time but When we finally got in the studio, it was, like, it made stuff so much easier, and it made recording so much more fun and, like, so much more relaxed because we had already recorded the record, you know, five times in our practice space before we even set foot. Um, So it was so, like, it was wicked. And it was probably, like, for me, like, singing-wise, it was, like, the first time I've actually had a lot of fun, like, recording, because it was, like... I didn't have to worry about stuff like everyone had already approved all the lyrics. Like everything was cool, so it was all about just like performance and you know nailing those songs and like everyone just vibing and hanging out and being way more stoked. And it was like there was no surprises because we already knew exactly what the record was gonna sound like. So it was super cool. It's funny though, like because it sounds so backwards to think <laughs> right? like that, but it's I think like anyone listening would be surprised to know how unpolished most records are before they go into the studio and how, yeah. like, most bands aren't near being finished.
3: You're you're absolutely right. A lot of people don't realize that. When an album is recorded live, that most bands spend weeks, you know, just rehearsing this stuff just to make sure that it, you know, as you're saying, is, is 100% ready when uh, they go into the studio. And a lot of, you know, the flip side to that with a lot of, uh, you know, uh, Pro Tools albums per se that are all pieced together in the studio anyway. You know, people go in with maybe uh, 70% of the album ready and they just write the rest while they are in the studio, just due to the fact that they don't have to be, you know, 100% on their game while they're putting the stuff together.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I mean, that's the thing too is that, I mean, we were referencing a lot of like older records like, you know, like Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and. You know, stuff like that where those guys would just record full takes like because they couldn't, you know, cut tape and do all this stuff and a lot of the tricks that you use in Pro Tools to just be like, oh, we'll punch that part. Like, you can't hit that note. That's fine. We'll just, like, try it a million times until you do. Where it was like, you know, uh, like Eric, like, Rats, the producer, was just like, oh, okay, well, if we're going to do this, then, yeah, we can't make, like, all these mistakes and you can't fix all this stuff and you can't get the computer to – basically record the record for you like this has to be, you know, as close to you guys as possible. Um, Which is like, it's, it definitely, yeah, it's funny to think about how computers have taken us almost the opposite way with like recording where it's, you know, you can come in as unprepared as possible and then you just basically pay someone to, to make it tighter for you.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's funny how within probably the last year or two, you're hearing about so many bands Going back and doing what you guys did, though, where they want more of a live feel, where they don't want to have, you know, all those noticeable edits in their songs and things like that. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with the fact that since a lot of it is being pieced together in the studio, a lot of bands also have a hard time pulling this stuff off live as well, where if you're going in playing this stuff, you know, right off the bat, you know that you can sit there and play that entire album live if need be.
2: Yeah, well, I think that's the thing, too, is that there's a lot of kids that are calling bullshit on these bands that, you know, they come out of, like, a really clean and polished album, and it's like, wait, you don't sing like that? Like, you can't actually play guitar like that. Or, you know, with drums, and especially, like, with metal bands, it's like, all these drums are getting programmed, and then you listen to these bands, and unless they have, you know, like, a really expensive you know, proposals rig or triggers that they're playing with. It's just like, wait, you're not as good of a drummer as I thought, or, you know, like, I think it's cool that a lot of that stuff is coming back. Cause we got to this, you know, peak of like, you know, digital recording where it was like, everyone's bands were perfect. Mm. And then kids were like almost, you know, demanding like the opposite, like, no, that's not what a real band sounds like. And that's not what, you know, you're actually playing. It's like, I want something closer to, what, you know, I get to see live and, you know, that that same kind of like energy and brutality, especially in, you know, metal and, and hardcore is what was missing in a lot of cases.
3: Right, right, right. Yeah, I saw a band last year who will re- remain nameless, uh, walked, <laughs> walked away during their first song of the show, and this band has gotten a lot of promos via uh, Guitar Hero and MTV and things like that. Um, saw their first song on their set, and they were wrapping the song up. And I noticed that uh, what they were playing didn't exactly match up with the sound that was coming out of the, uh, y- you know, the the sound system at the festival. So we immediately walked away. <laughs> but it was yeah.
2: Well, that's a, that's the a thing. We're definitely hearing like you know horror stories of almost like lip syncing, and you know, yeah. like you hear stories about like bigger bands where you know, maybe it's not them playing that, that solo, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's like, it's tough to say like who's who, but then when you see those bands that are actually like shredding and killing it, it's like, oh, okay. Right. Yeah. That there's no way that guy is not playing that guitar part.
3: Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll edit this out, but the group was.
2: Oh, I was going to say, I've heard, I've heard a few rumors about like uh, a bunch of bands like that. Those guitar hero kind of bands.
3: Yeah, they they were wrapping up their last the last song in their set and they did something where everyone except for the drummer lined up at the front of the stage and they all played one another's instruments, okay? And the very last note that was played, none of them like hit the note at the same time, but what was coming through the loudspeakers all sounded, you know, cohesive and at the same time. I'm like that's just pathetic. Let's, let's go grab a beer because just r- really soured the moment.
2: Yeah. That's the thing is like when you do see something like that or it, and when it's a band that you're stoked on, it's just like, it's such a bum out. Yeah. Cause like, I know, and I mean, even for a lot of kids, it's like, they'll, I think like vocally, it's like, they'll hear a band and it's like, oh man, this guy's got like the heaviest voice or like it's, you know, his singing voice is so clear. Yeah and then you go and watch them and you're like this is terrible.
3: Yeah, yeah. You know,
2: like you're you're not hitting any of these notes.
3: <laughs> yeah, singers usually the first thing you can tell, you know. Um and like you said, you know, unfortunately with computers coming in to play so much nowadays in the entire recording process, you know, you would think that some of these bands would at least try to do something, you know, take take a Mac pro with them, you know, on the road or something to at least add the same effects or, or something like that. But, you know, again, you show up to a festival and, you know, I understand if someone's voice, you know, is, is worn out because, you know, they've been touring and, you know, there's just wear and tear that goes along with your voice. It's obvious, but there are other things where, you know as you're saying in the studio they're hitting you know uh five octaves higher than what they normally hit you know on stage then you know that you know they're they're using computer equipment to uh to to augment whatever it is that they're playing
2: yeah well and i I think it's also like you need to be wary of that like what you can reproduce live too you know like there's some stuff when you're in like a controlled environment it's like your voice can do a lot, you know, better things. But yeah, when you're on tour, it's like, you're not going to be able to sing this like night after night, which I think like, you know, I definitely have gotten to the point of like keeping that in mind. Like when, especially right. like putting a lot of lyrics in a song, it's like, man, if I sing this while I'm like in a hot, sweaty club, like I'm going to run out of breath and probably die. Right. <laughs> I'm going to take it easy.
3: You don't want to do like uh, what Ozzy's crying about now, that he can't sing any of his early material because he was way too high in the studio.
2: Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
3: Speaking of touring and festivals and everything else, you guys have played a lot of important European festivals and been involved in some prominent tours in North America. What are some of your favorite tour stories that you could share with us?
2: Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, we've definitely been lucky like to be out on as many tours. Uh, I'll say even that, that one tour that I mentioned before, when we got asked in 2007 to go on tour in Europe with, uh, with rise against, um, I mean, we had just, you know, started touring full time and had only done, you know, uh, like one European tour with Alexis on fire. So we got asked to, to open up for rise against in the Bronx doing all of mainland Europe and England. And it was like, that was when, you know, getting that offer was just like, we don't know any of these guys, you know, this is just like a band asking us to come out on tour. And that like, you know, that really blew our minds to think of like how other people, you know, look at, look at our band and like, to see that someone even, you know, thinks that we're a good idea to take on tour, you know, it was just like, For us, it was such a mind blow, but uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was wicked. That tour was amazing, and I think it has led to us, you know, doing so many other things in um, definitely, like, Europe and the UK was, like, that tour for sure, like, bringing us to another level, which was wicked, you know, and Mm -hmm. I definitely, like, love, like, love those Rise Against Dudes for, you know, being such a massive band and just being like, yeah, we like your band, we should take you on tour, like, it's as easy as that. I'm like, man, you guys are, like, for as big of a band to realize that, like, those guys are still just as punk as when, you know, they were in, you know, Pinhead Gunpowder and, like, 88 Fingers Louie, like, still, you know, like, coming from, like, a hardcore and punk rock background and just being normal dudes, but playing in front of, like, thousands of people. It was super cool to, like, actually know that, you know, that kind of world still exists at that level. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that definitely was, yeah, one of my favorite tours.
3: Okay. Um, what do you guys have lined up at the moment regarding touring? Uh,
2: we leave actually tomorrow to start a tour with, uh, we're doing that that cool tour through the U.S., which is As Dying, Under Oath, Between the Buried and Me, Bless the Fall, Acacia Strain, uh, Architects from the U.K., mm-hmm. ourselves, and War of Ages, so okay. massive <laughs> festival day. Uh, so we do that throughout the U.S. in July, and then head up across Canada in August, and then we're um, we're going to Japan, Australia, and the U.K. with uh, Bringing the Horizon. Okay. Um, and in Japan and Australia, we're out with Bullet from a Valentine as well, which is going to be awesome. Ah, okay. um, and then we do uh, a full European tour with Dillinger Escape Plan.
3: Cool. Very cool. Yeah, he-
2: so nice nice busy four months (laughs) lined up
3: (laughs) any plans on uh playing in spain
2: uh yeah that dillinger escape plan tour um goes to spain it does three dates in barcelona madrid and balboa i want to say bilbao bilbao sorry
3: no that no no problem that's about an hour away from me everything else is six to seven hours away so cool i gotta see if uh i can uh go out and see you guys play yeah, come
2: out to that show. It's going to be awesome.
3: Should be. So- sounds like it will be. I've, I've been listening to the uh, album all day, and it really sounds uh, pretty good. Um, uh, how many songs do you guys intend on playing live off of the new album? Um,
2: I think we'll probably have about 45 minutes on that Dillinger tour. So we'll probably play, you know, off the new record, we've been playing a lot of songs because we're so stoked on it. So right. probably five or six from the new one, and we usually will try and play about 12 songs in a set.
3: Okay. Cool. And um assuming that the reception has gone well so far with the new songs?
2: Yeah, new records have been going over great. Uh, we're stoked that, you know, fans of both like Birthing the Giant and Hail Destroyer are really stoked on the new album and it seems like there's a lot of other people that are, you know, kinda finding out about the band now that we're on, you know, Roadrunner in Europe. There's right. a lot like they're helping to spread the word and, you know, being super supportive of the band. So it's definitely like helped us out a lot.
3: Very cool. Yeah, they're actually uh, who helped me line things up uh, to interview you guys. So,
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, Richard at Roadrunner Spain, is, he's yep. the best. And it's cool that Roadrunner kind of works like that. Like, they're all, you know, as far as countries go and areas, it's almost like they're all, like, small independent labels, like, working together for the same cause. Right. And less, mm-hmm. like, one main guy, you know, thousands of miles away who doesn't really, you know isn't really locked into the scene so it's cool to to have you know every territory kind of taken care of like that it's wicked
3: right right absolutely who was the first band or person that you listened to that really fueled the fire and got you started in the direction of wanting to start a band up and do this for a living um i
2: don't know i'm i definitely like remember getting into like punk rock you know when i was you know like high school and stuff like that and getting really psyched on that whole side of like skate punk, like, you know, bands like no effects and Pennywise and, you know, face to face and stuff like that. I remember like, you know, getting into rancid and all those bands that were definitely like, you know, really like DIY in terms of what they did and just like seeing that, you know, kind of like anyone could be in a band and that you don't need like, you know, huge set of gear and stuff like that. Like we, I remember seeing, you know, like, Rancid just playing through, you know, like, Marshall Cabs. And that was it, like, on stage. Like, it was just like, oh, this band's massive, but, you know, their setup is so, you know, just like punk. Like, you know, the quintessential of just, like, for me as, like, a 14-year-old kid just being like, oh, okay, cool. Like, you don't need, you know, a a semi-truck full of gear. Like, you can just plug in wherever and be on the same level as these guys. Like, that always got me super stoked.
3: Cool. Yeah, I was lucky enough to see Rancid – uh, and I'm going to date myself now. Um, <laughs> I got to see them back in 96 on the Lollapalooza tour. And, um, at that time they actually took like a full, like, um, I don't want to say orchestra, but it was like a full ska band that they took with them. So it was them four, plus some dudes on saxes, trombones, trumpets, and, and the whole nine yards. So that's actually when they, oh, did, rough. Yeah, they did the remix for, um... Uh I Wanna Ride actually. There's actually two versions. There's just a version with them alone, and then there's another version with this band. And on the album that I have it on, it's listed as Rancid with the Stubborn All Stars, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. So I'll
2: definitely have to check that out.
3: So it was it was cool actually because that, that Lollapalooza tour there was controversy because Metallica actually headlined, but it was actually the Ramones last tour, Soundgarden's last tour at that point in time and uh, it was actually screaming trees who had uh, Josh Homme, who's now obviously in Qu- Queens of the Stone Age and all the other offshoot bands uh, yeah they were part of that package as well so it was uh, rather interesting hmm
2: good good gig i uh, I definitely didn't get to see La Souza in 1996 I was uh, I got to see rancid though when they toured with rocker from the Crypt okay and I think that was either 95 or 96. Oh, okay. But uh, that was awesome. That was my first time seeing Rancid, to yes. date To date myself. I was 15. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that
3: um, the drummer from Rocket from the Crypt ended up being their drummer anyway, or am I confusing bands here? Was that Rancid or was that Offspring?
2: Oh, I think that was Offspring. He played drums for, for a minute.
3: Yeah, okay.
2: Um, and now I want to say he plays in – the drummer for Rocket plays in Angels and Airwaves.
3: Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay.
2: Which is uh I mean whatever. Sometimes you got to sometimes you got to pay the rent. <laughs>
3: there you go. Uh
2: hey, what's up? This is Liam from Cancer Bats and you're listening to Mars Attacks.
3: I just want to thank Liam for coming on and also Richard from Background Noise here in Spain who helped run everything for Roadrunner. He helped make uh, everything happen. Um, up next we have Chuck Billy from Testament. Really no need for any introduction. A thrash legend, a front man that is legendary as well. Uh was lucky enough to see Priest on the, or I'm sorry, was lucky enough to see Testament open up the Priest Feast last year here in Spain. The bill was Judas Priest, Megadeth, and Testament, and uh, Testament have also put out one of the best albums, as far as I'm concerned, uh, that came out in the first decade of this, the um, 22nd century. Um, in any event, what we're gonna do here is get into a little bit of the track "Fear" by Testament. It comes off of Formation of Damnation, and uh, from there we'll segue into the interview with Chuck Billy. Is getting ready to go out on the Rust in Peace 20th Anniversary Tour and um, from what I've seen online, you guys are going to be performing The Legacy in its entirety during this yeah. tour. Why did you guys decide to go this route?
0: Um, well, it was, we,
3: we did this, well we didn't do
0: a tour but we played The Legacy and The New Order back to back in Japan and in Holland and London and they went over really well and at first, we weren't sure how it was going to go over. But at the end of the show, we ended up going, man, those were, that was really fun. The crowd really dug it. And uh, we said it'd be nice to do that again sometime. So when this tour came approached to us, we were approached to possibility of every band doing, you know, a historical record, you know, going back and playing some history. So we were open to it because we knew that it was. A good thing in Europe and Japan, it went over well, so we we're like, Yeah, okay, let's go for it. And then, uh, as things progressed, everybody kind of con- committed you know, Exodus doing Bono by Blood, and Exodus Harvest, and Megadeth doing, um, Rust and Peace. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at that point, there it was all locked in. Everybody was, booked we did a bit of press release, and here we are, about to do it. <laughs> I mean, it's gonna be interesting, you know, it's gonna be something different that. Because you know we've been touring a lot. We did like 190 shows last year. We've we covered a lot of ground and and played a lot of the same material. And uh, so it's kind of nice for any of those fans that actually came and saw us for the last year and a half, two years, get a little taste of something else. You know, And a little taste of what we're what we're about. What what started. What was the you know the core of this band when we started it? And they'll get a kind of a great picture of it at that, at that show.
3: Cool. Does it make the. Uh... Picking the set list easier? Because if you're focusing on one album, you don't have to sit there and each one of you guys figure out what songs you guys want to play?
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah we're, playing it. we're playing it just like the record. Songs back okay. to back, just like it was on the record. So it makes it pretty
3: easy. Cool. And and speaking of where the band started, a lot of people, unless you're a diehard fan, don't know that you're not the original singer in the band. Um, how did the opportunity come up for you to join Testament?
0: Well, they weren't called Testament when I joined. They were called Legacy, right. and uh, and Steve Souza was the singer of the band. They had a record record deal. They had a, didn't record a record yet, but they had a record deal. And right in the middle of all that, uh, that was asked to join Exodus. So he left our Legacy to join Exodus. And uh, what he did, you know, he was best friends with my younger brother, and told me that you know, hey. He knew I was a singer and looking for a band, and said, "Hey, call Alex Skolnick, see if you can audition for these guys. You know, they're great." And so, got the demo, learned the songs, and one audition, I got the gig. You know, so it's kind of, kind of cool that kind of handed to me, you know, early on.
3: Right. Cool. The the rumor on the net, and, and you know that there's a lot of BS that's published uh, on the net, uh, is that the name Testament came from Billy Milano? Is that true? Yeah.
0: Yeah, Billy came up with the uh, the uh, the name Testament because it was legacy. And so you know, the Testament kind of you know, has the same kind of meaning as uh, you know legacy. So we when we first heard it, first thing we thought was Testament. Uh huh. Okay, kind of strange. But then uh, Eric kind of because Eric's the artist, so Eric kind of doodled the logo, and he kind of made the tease Symmetrical and the A in the middle, and we we're kind of like, whoa, we got something here. <laughs> and uh, we kind of fine tuned it. Had an artist up in upstate New York where we're recording the record, fine tuned the art and logo. And as you know we had before the record was done, we had the logo finished, and we were all kind of like, wow, it kind of looks, looks looks bold and symmetrical and strong. And, you know, we felt really really good about it. Cool. Once we have seen it.
3: Cool. Very cool. Back then, you guys were obviously assigned to Megaforce, a quintessential label for Thrash. Yeah. What are your thoughts of those early days? Not only recording that, you know, album up in New York, but what was it like being a part of that Megaforce family way back then?
0: Well, we felt that we were a part of something that was uh, working, you know. I mean, like for Anthrax and Johnny Z and everybody he was working with and managing, he was doing good things for, you know. Um, he had the right idea for the market metal, and uh, you know, and Maria Ferrero, she's the one who really like twisted Johnny Z's arm to get the band signed. You know, she was real we, the one really kept pushing the band. Uh, at one point, Johnny finally said, "Okay, okay, I'll come out and <laughs> check the guys out." So he flew out to San Francisco, and uh, the morning of the audition, they showed up at noon at our rehearsal studio, and they were really tired looking, and something was wrong. And when they got there, we were like, wow, well, what's going on? And, you know, what's the matter? And they said, well, we've been up all night. You know, we got news last night that Metallica's bus had an accident, Cliff Burton's dead. Huh. And, of course, we were, you know, from the Bay Area, and Cliff was our local hero, you know? And we're, it was like a shocker, you know? We just were told Cliff's dead. And now we gotta perform for this guy here to get signed, you know. So it was one of the most somber auditions, you know, you've probably ever seen in your life. Right. And after the audition we finished and it was just yeah, like no excitement, it was just quiet and he's like, Okay, we got a deal and then that was about it, and we we're going back to our hotel. We'll talk to you boys soon. But that was about it, you know. Wow. And so it was a, it was kind of a, you know, unusual event of where where we started from and who started us, you know? Right.
3: It definitely has to be, as you're saying, one of the most sombering uh, experiences, you know. At, at the one side of things you want to celebrate, you know, because you got the deal, but uh, obviously, you know, a good buddy of yours has just finished dying. Someone who's, you know, such a big figure for all you guys as well, you know, right. and you have to take all that in at the same time.
0: Yeah, it was, it was a long day, and it was... It was, it was uh... I don't know, It's was the most memorable thing for me because it was a day that I would never forget, never forever, but, you know. Right. The situation was just strange. For
3: gotcha, okay. After a bunch of monumental thrash albums that you guys put out through Megaforce, The Ritual came out, and you guys went in a slightly different direction, and after The Ritual was out there on the market, the tour was done and everything, Alex and Louie... Uh, went their own ways. Um, When everyone got back together again, I'm assuming that there were things that needed to be ironed out from that period to make sure that something like the formation... No,
0: no, 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 no. there was nothing... When when we split up at the the ritual part, I mean, it was something that had to happen. We were growing apart musically. And, you know, I mean, understandably, Alex was, you know, 14, 15 years old Coming into this band and all he knew was his childhood going up was being on tour with us. Okay, you know so at the age of at the age of 23, he wanted more. He wanted to expand himself and 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 so he made that made that bold move and and at the time metal wasn't the most popular thing and it was kind of on a downswing. So you know he's a smart guy and, and went where his heart was and and pursued his dream and that's what he did and and no regrets for anybody and it wasn't ever on bad terms we didn't ever let nobody left on bad terms we were all okay. still friends throughout the years i went and visited louie and alex in new york for new years and you know we all still communicated just didn't play together
4: okay and okay.
0: Uh, never really pushed the issue about playing together ever again we just wanted to kind of just be friends keep it at that level
4: okay. and uh
0: when i got when i got sick is when um was the first time everybody was kind of called to like, hey, let's come together for this event and perform. And that was kind of the first step on breaking the ice of getting everybody on the same stage together. Right. And uh, that night I got up and performed with the guys as well. Louie was there, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was the first time we were all on stage in like 14 years. Okay. It was kind of a good, good, exciting feeling, you know, and it was a great day. And that very next day after that show, we were actually recording a record called First Strike, Still Deadly. Right. So it was re-recordings of our first couple of records. A lot of our favorite songs.
4: Mm -hmm. And we asked
0: Alex to perform on that. So that was kind of Alex's first step back into performing with us on a record. And we really just took it slow, never pushed the envelope with them. We just wanted to kind of just take one day at a time, make no plans. And uh, after that, uh, I started going back to getting the band back together that did the gathering recordings, Steve Giorgio, and everybody, right. to go on tour. So, so I was calling Europe to try to get us on the Dynamo Festival. And my friend Andre, who runs Dynamo Festival, said, hey, I just confirmed Anthrax, you know, the original Anthrax. It'd be great if the original Testament could come over and play that show. It'd be great. Hmm. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. Let me, let me ask. So within a week, I asked everybody, and everybody committed to the show. So that was the first and only show that was supposed to happen, and that show turned into I think five shows.
4: Right. And then okay. that
0: show turned into ten shows, and then it turned into a tour. And then,
4: <laughs> and then so we kind of
0: <laughs> never really spoke about where we're going with it. We kind of just kind of took it day at a time and said, yeah, we're having fun, you know, it's it works, good, good times. We mm-hmm. just kept it real simple. And then it came finally a time where we said, okay, we're at that point now. What do you guys think about doing a record together? And that's when everybody said, sounds great. Let's do it. So here we are, you know, and everybody's happy where they're at, their situations. They got their side projects, things they do all year. Right. Kind of have our time to write, go out and play live. So in our camp, everything's kind of together and our friendship and, you know, and playing together is all kind of like, to the first full circle again so it has the music business in a sense so it's kind of kind of cool that we found each other found back the music scene found itself again and and we're back in there being a part of it doing our part of it as well and good good times right now for us
3: cool very cool so speaking of um the first strike album uh, a lot of people have actually, well, a lot of people, there are two names that come to mind. Um, Eddie Trunk yeah. and Michael Lamont that have actually mentioned that they feel that that album is the foundation for everyone else that wants to uh, remake their material, to use that as a structure oh, yeah.
0: to follow. Yeah, when I listen, I, mean, I listen to my old records and I know what I want to hear and I don't hear When I listen to that record, it's what we want to hear. You know, and it's right. modern sounding. You know, it doesn't sound like, you know, I mean, if, you, if, you, if I told you how much we spent on those old records, it'd blow you away because it sounds like shitty, you know, compared to like right. today's production, you know, that we do for, you know, a tenth, a fraction of the cost, you know, just because technology's so far advanced compared to what it
3: is, you know. Gotcha. Okay. As far as the benefit show that you mentioned, what was it like on your end, seeing that so many groups were coming together to try to help you out? Uh, while you were sick,
2: uh,
0: it was overwhelming, you know. And again, it made me really—it really does make me feel a part of the Bay Area, just <clears throat> for the plain fact that that one event got Exodus, Death Angel, now Forbidden, you know, all these bands back together to do records that are out there doing great, doing great records right again. Even putting Testament, original back, guys back together. Uh, so it really did make, you know, a statement and a movement and everybody kind of do it again back in the day, you know. And, you know, here we all are out you know, hitting the road, doing, you know, enjoying it.
3: <laughs> cool. How did cancer change the way that uh, you looked at music and how things evolved around that?
0: Um... Uh, well, look at it totally different. I mean, just, you know, I mean, look at it, anything different, not just the music, but just living, I mean, You know, definitely don't take music. Try not to be as serious about it as possible. And just, like I said, we're in such a good place with us because we got the original guys. We're getting along great. We're having a good time. I'm enjoying being out there. You know, and and since I've been better, like when I go to Europe, I usually been taking like, you know, I'm friends a lot with like a lot of my high school friends that I've been friends with forever. Right. A lot of these guys, they've, they've never experienced Europe, you know, so I've taken a lot of my friends over the last, you know, eight years on tour to Europe hmm. that never been there. And it kind of makes it more exciting for me. Like, I'm almost like a tourist walking around all day doing my thing and then, hey, man, hey, we got to go back to the this venue so I can perform for an hour or two, <laughs> you know. It, it's like, you know, I'm a tourist on vacation, but I just happen to go have to go perform for a couple hours. I'll be right back. Right. You know, so it's kind of it's kind of, kind of put the whole flip. I'm working, but I'm enjoying it, and it's it's and I'm taking not taking it as a serious as far as you know what I mean. Putting all my eggs right. in the basket on just my music, and that's it. You know.
3: Right. Yeah. I I was lucky enough to see you guys on the Priest Feast when it came through here in Spain, and uh, you could tell that you guys were having a lot of fun up on stage.
0: Oh yeah. Yep. It is man.
3: How was it like being part of that tour? Touring with Priest and with Megadeth.
0: Well, it's great. Priest, I mean, of course, they've been like one of my favorite bands and heroes since we toured with them in the early 90s. And the opportunity to tour with them again was great, you know.
3: Del James actually has worked on a few of the albums with you guys. How did that partnership Uh come up?
0: Um, Me and Del, well, Del used to be the. uh, I guess chief editor of RIP Magazine, like, back in the 80s. Right. And uh, him and a couple guys came out with us for a couple weeks and did, like, a story, you know, tour on tour story deal with us. And we became friends then. And uh, he's always, like, was one of my favorite writers. And um, one day when we were working on a record, I just decided, you know, we'll call Dell to see if he can help me work on a tune. I knew that did as well, and we went down and we knocked out like three songs, like you know, the first couple hours. And was like, wow, we worked pretty good together, and it, we've never stopped. You know, ever since that first day, we just worked well and we worked fast and we have come up, with, you know, stuff. So, you know, I've been, I think I've been working with like fifteen years. I think since the ritual.
3: Okay. As as far as the band goes, the mainstays have, for the most part, been you and and Eric. Why has your partnership worked all these years?
0: Um, I don't know. Maybe sometimes probably because I'm a, a bigger bully than him. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. But, you know, I don't know. We, we uh, you know, we've been together so long. It's like a brotherhood. I mean, we fight. We disagree, you know, and everything. But at, at the end of the day, it's all for the better. We all have the same idea and the same goal. Right. You know, so uh, it works. And as far as the writing goes and working together in that sense, man, it's gotten a lot easier working together. I mean, we kind of know how each other works and what what we kind of – he knows what I want or what I will sing to or not sing to or, you know, and vice versa, you know, what he needs to do. So we just kind of know each other. So we don't – there's not a lot of – Missing the target when we write, we kind of know right, right when we're starting not to waste each other's time, kind
3: of. Gotcha. Okay. So
0: I I think in that sense it's kind of like your brothers. You know, you've been together for so long, you kind of just know each other's tendencies. You know. Right. You know, you know how he puts toothpaste, you know, on his toothbrush. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you know, you know all the little things about him.
3: Yeah, I gotcha. Okay. Um. <laughs> Within the years that you guys didn't have the classic lineup together, you guys had a lot of musicians that were, you know, big time musicians in their own right. Some of them became big musicians after playing with Testament. Some, like Dave Lombardo, came in with, you know, obviously with a big name already. Uh-huh. How difficult was it to get some of these people to come in? And was it a sense that you were friends with these people and you asked them to play? Or as a fan, did you try to? pursue them to try to play on these different albums
0: um well we're fans of, of their playing but a lot of them were just like started as like you know friendships of course we knew slayer and toured with slayer and and um and had dave out there and, and you know one day just you know just been hanging out and passing it's like hey man let's jam sometime you know dave said and right we're just like you know yeah that sounds great and that'd be cool and that kind of was it. And then when me and Eric went, when we were done touring, about to write the record, we didn't have a drummer. Mm-hmm. He goes, hey, man. I said, let's call let's call Lombardo. That's he saying this is jam. And uh, and he, I don't think he was in Slayer at the time. At that time, he was still doing his other thing. So right, um, he came up, him and Eric, the first day it clicked. And, uh, you know, from there it was great because Eric's always kind of been the, the director of drums, you know, when it comes to writing music, right? So with like Lombardo, he, Dave just played, you know, he just did his thing as his drummer and, and really opened up Erica as a just concentrate on more of the, the guitar playing, right? You know, so I so I thought the gathering was kind of a real special record for that because, you know, Eric was really into like his, his black metal, and you know his traditional metal, and so he, he wrote what he had to do for Testament, but he still put his element of black metal with some blast beats and stuff like that with Lombardo. So it was pretty cool, you know, I thought what they came up with. you know, It was, it was definitely something, stepping in a different direction for testing it, you know. Right. Some of the elements.
3: Uh, absolutely, and that um, was something that I also want to touch on before. From that period after the ritual, a lot of bands probably would have tried, you know, grasping at straws to try to, you know, live a, uh, live off of their former glories. But you guys actually went heavier and heavier and heavier as, as albums went by. You did quite the opposite and were still able to, uh, you know, maintain uh, your credibility and your popularity within the fans.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's like anything you do. I mean, you believe something and uh, nothing and something and believe in it, play it with your heart, <laughs> you know, it's it shows. I mean, right. It it's like me as a fan as well. There's some bands that I love that try to change with the times, especially in the 90s, you know.
4: Right. A lot of bands were
0: changing, trying to change with the, the times and get on radio and all that stuff. It just it ruined them, and now they're, they're nowhere to be found. So, right, you know, it says something for people that start something. And, and in every band that's probably been successful, you can see how they started something, and they finished it and continued on and, you know, never strayed away. Right. I don't know any bands that have like made it, that have tried and, and made it in every different field they strayed into.
3: <laughs> right now, I can't
0: think of I can't think of one. You know?
3: No, you're you're absolutely right, absolutely right. And uh, so you guys are working on the album. Any any uh, ETA on the album? No, that's we're kind of just kind of
0: don't want to put the pressure on ourselves, whatever. But we're just gonna you know just. But, but, you know, like I said, we're focused on not trying to tour as much so we can get, have more time here stay home to
3: work. What can you tell us about the Dublin Death Patrol? Um, well, we haven't killed many lately. <laughs> um, but, no, we're working
0: actually on a new record. We're actually talking about getting signed uh, with uh, Mascot Records. Okay. Out of Holland. So um, we're working that out right now. Going to re-release the first record we did. Um some bonus stuff and new art, and and then put out a new record uh, sometime this year. Okay. And uh, we might even go over to Europe and play some uh, shows this summer. Cool. So.
3: Is the new album gonna be more like the uh, first album in the sense that there're gonna be a bunch of covers and then some new tunes? Oh, well, we're
0: or... gonna we're gonna try. Well, we're going to try to write more just of our tunes, but we'll, okay. definitely, we'll do a couple of fun covers. You know, those are really fun, you know, to do.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, uh, the covers that you guys did of Cold Sweat and Lights Out are unbelievable. Probably as good as, as the originals, which is something that you could hope, you know, when somebody is covering a song that they don't, you know, take it in the opposite direction and screw it up. You want to hear something, you know, that you can grab onto like that classic track.
0: Yeah. Oh, they're fun. And that's what it was all about. They were just, the whole band thing was about playing stuff. Because a lot of the songs, we wrote shit when we were all in high school. Right. You know, so it was was all about just rehashing the good old days. That's what it was all about. And the songs that we all loved to listen to at the parties and play. So, you know, that's kind of what it was all about, you know. But this one's going to be a little more serious about writing some more originals, though.
3: Okay. You know? More or less the same people are going to be involved?
0: Exact same people.
3: Okay, cool. So you get to work with your brothers again and everything?
0: Yeah, yeah everybody's going to be involved again.
3: Okay, cool. I actually did an interview with, with Bobby Blitz from Overkill last week, and I mentioned this to him. I asked him if it bothered him that when people brought up the big four that they always leaned towards four specific bands and left out you know, Testament, Overkill, Exodus, Death Angel, etc. I asked him if that was something that after all these years, you know, meant anything to him or if, you know, those four bands being labeled as the big four bothered him. His, his initial reaction was that he thought I had just finished mentioning the big four, but uh, he then went on to talk about those other, the, the, the big four, you know, Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, and Slayer. What are your thoughts on that specific title?
0: Uh, It's kind of silly. I mean, why? Why why does it have to be four? Why can't it be the big hundred? (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's just—it's silly. It's—it's just you know. I I don't even trip on. I I, you know it's. It's silly.
3: Yeah. Well, you guys have just as big a hand, you know. I think, as some of the other bands that I mentioned in the evolution of thrash, you know. So it is, as you're saying, a bit. Nonsense that just four bands are labeled as being the only ones that had anything to do with it. So,
0: yeah, but it's it's just I mean, <laughs> what does it mean? I mean, you know, I mean, it's like you know, and we've been around a long time and we play our style of music, but that what does that mean? I mean, you know, it's I don't know. It, it, uh, whenever it comes up, it's 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 kind of just crazy. I mean, why not the Big Ten and make a fucking you know? <laughs> A great tour of the Big Ten. What would that be? Right. <laughs> you know. I don't know. It's just you know,
3: whatever. I got, I got gotcha. you. I I understand exactly where you're coming from. So I mean, I I think if you listen to a lot of the newer groups, uh, you know the 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 automatic thing is to say, oh, you know, it sounds like Metallica, for example. But you know, I hear just as many people that try to sing that try to sound like you as much as they may sound like James. So, you know, that just sort sort of, I all guess, right. just go, goes back to uh, the good old marketing folk trying to, uh, you know, put, put a nice bow on things and knowing how to sell it, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's dumb. So it's like, okay, so all promoters, man, you're not getting the top four, so you're starting at five. What is that? That just <laughs> reduces your value? <laughs> right. You know, you got five on, you know, whatever. It's just... It's... <laughs>
3: And no, I, I I hear you and and some of the other bands that I mentioned. I mean, I've seen you guys. I've seen Death Angel uh, recently. I mean, just as good or, or better than some of the other bands that I mentioned. So.
0: Yeah, but the thing is, you don't want everybody the same. Everybody's on their own. I mean, it's just it's that's it's, you know, you gotta have variety. You gotta have right. You know, gotta have it. Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attacks.
3: You go there's a little hail mary by testament song that i absolutely love that comes off of low the first thing that probably introduced me to any type of um vocal parts that sound relatively close to death metal i remember hearing the song low for the first time and I was like what is this you know uh it was a very interesting album that i absolutely love You know, that's sort of why I hate the whole, you know, metal in the 90s sucked. No, it didn't. (laughs) There was a lot of great metal that came out during that decade. So go back, check out Testaments Low, among other things that are out there that absolutely kick ass that came out that decade. Uh, I want to thank Chuck Billy for coming on the show. Also want to thank John Friedman, who used to work over at Adrenaline PR, who helped set that entire interview up. And I want to also thank the people over at Adrenaline who have continued to help me out uh, with different interviews. Uh, Namely, they've helped uh, hook me up with different people from uh, Sons of Aurelius and with people from Warbeast to do Q&A interviews over at Metal Army America. You can either go directly to Metal Army America and find out information regarding these Q and A's. Um, you can also find reviews that I've done of various albums over there as well. If not, you could always uh, just go to the martialtaxradio.com website. You'll find links. You'll actually find categories on the right-hand side of the page, and there's links to all the reviews uh, under one section, all the interviews under another section. So, if for whatever reason you know you're just finding out about the show and you want to find out who else I've interviewed you know, over the course of the roughly last year, um, you can find that right there. Uh, You could also do a search or whatever works uh, best for you. I also have the Mars Attacks radio show, which debuts Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Mark Striegel Radio. That is basically music. This week we debuted a bunch of different new tracks. Uh, Not that we debuted them, but we just played them on the show, you know, just to... Try to help spread the word of hard rock and metal, you know, just help you hear or turn you on to different things that maybe you hadn't heard for a long time, or maybe you weren't aware that a group that you used to like um, put something new out, or just want to hear something different. You know, we have that there. It's usually about an hour long, but we do have various blocks depending on the day that uh, you check the show out. So you can actually hear previous um, episodes after episodes that do debut, so Thursdays, for example, it's from 8 to 12 p.m., or I should say 8 p.m. to 12 a.m., <laughs> uh, Eastern Standard Time, and uh, Fridays, it's from, if I'm not mistaken, 4 p.m. to 12 a.m., so you have a, a good eight-hour block on Friday there. Uh, also, check out if you're interested, I do have a Spanish language show called Fusion Sonica. You can go to FusionSonica.com to check out various groups that uh, I've interviewed there or various shows that I've put together. The latest podcast, which just came out today as well, uh, is an interview with the Spanish black metal act called Bitten Cross. Uh, What Bitten Cross offers is actually, it's quite interesting to me because usually when you hear a Spanish artist. Uh, they have a specific accent when they sing in, in English, but uh, Oregon from Bitten Cross uh, has a Scandinavian accent when he sings in English. So uh, that is basically due to, you know, loving Satyricon, uh, loving King Diamond, and things of that nature. He got into that um, during the interview, and um, on a side note, one of the things that we did talk about was Overkill. Next week's Mars Attacks will have if everything goes as scheduled will be an interview with Blitz from Overkill and Jose from Bonded by Blood. So uh what we're gonna do is we're gonna leave you now with a little bit of testament. This is and and this is always uh like a tongue twister for me. Sewn shut eyes. Uh easy enough this time around, but other times screw that up pretty good. In any event, we're going to leave you with some Shut eyes, and uh, thanks again for listening. Check out the website. Oh, and before I forget, check out links to the MySpace uh, account there, the Facebook group, Twitter, so on and so forth. Find out different things regarding who I'm interviewing, who will be up on the show next, and et cetera, et cetera, throughout all those accounts. So, uh, And you can also stay in contact with me through all those as well. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.